You get to be free of the need to work for money if you can start making your money make money. So you can work for money or you're, you can use your money to make money. Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings, joined as always by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day -to, -day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. How are you, Mr. Gilson? Buddy, I am an eight-year-old with a drum set. <laughs> Loud, slightly obnoxious, and having a, blast. having a blast. <laughs> That's right. Okay, we'll go. We'll we'll focus on that last one. Um, uh, welcome everybody to the show. We have this here week. We've got a listener question. Uh, about balancing uh, curiosity and responsibility. We're going to get into our, major, our main conversation today about one of our rules, our rules of wealth, uh, purchase passive, passive income and appreciating assets. Uh, and we're going to wrap this episode up with a recommendation that I think will help get us closer to executing on that said rule. Let us dive in uh, to our listener question. This is from Mitch. Mitch says, as context, I'm 39 years old, got two kids, 10 and 8 years old. He's a general counsel for a healthcare data company, uh, and he's been working remotely for nine years. They moved from New Hampshire to Santa Barbara when uh, his oldest was just over a year old. Here is his question. How do you find time to explore new things that might interest you uh, and have a curious mind and never stop learning while also focusing on things that you need to do in order to sustain a financial semblance for your family and also not just idea hop. I think the first thing, the first mistake he made is he moved out of New Hampshire. As we've discussed in previous episodes, New Hampshire, you just have to move to New Hampshire. And he left it. Yeah. So mistake number one, Mitch, he left <laughs> New Hampshire. Mitch, uh, I don't know what you were doing. Uh, I've been to Santa Barbara. It's not that cool. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so first of all, uh, congratulations on your kids. Uh, having a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old must be a lot of fun. But I understand where you're coming from and saying, hey, where do I find time for my curiosity? I'm general counsel for a, for a healthcare company. And uh, I think that the first thing is not to treat that time for curiosity or exploring things as a remainder. If you do, you'll never do it. So if it's the thing that you only do when you're done, you know, perusing contracts and going over uh, HR strategies and, and uh, you know, validating marketing claims, um, you're going to find that there's no time left, especially after you've given adequate time to your 10-year-old and your 8-year-old. So this is the time to say, when can you reserve that time? for exploring your uh, your interests. Uh, is it Sunday morning when the kids are still in bed? Uh, is it every morning at 5 a.m.? Uh, is there somewhere in your life where you're over-indexed? You know, so for instance, are you getting in seven workouts a week that are high intensity? Like, hey man, you don't need to. You know, give one of those up, go to six and literally block out that time. Uh, I do have a little bit of a bias against the last part of your question, which is how do I maintain my financial responsibilities while doing this? It's simply a mindset shift. By reserving that time, you've already reserved time to take care of your family financially. 
you would have done better if you'd stayed in New Hampshire and <laughs> not gone to Santa Barbara because of the cost of living. But you've already got that taken care of. It's a red herring. Don't worry about it. You know when you get to work. You should know when you end work. You're taking care of your family financially. The last part of your question is, okay, well, how do I not idea hop? No, man, idea hop. Go for it. You're exploring things that interest you, which means that you have the license to explore anything, which means you also have the license to stop exploring anything. In other words, if you decide that you want to explore statistics and you're cool when you get through T-tests and ANOVAs and kurtosis and you get bored out of your mind when you get to Monte Carlo simulations, you get to stop now. You get to stop now and go look at pictures of puppies on the internet because that's your time. So give yourself some freedom. You've already got the world taken care of. You really do. You've got the world by the short hairs, man. You live in a beautiful place with what I'm assuming are beautiful kids. Uh, you're at the top of your game as GC at a private company. Take your foot off the gas pedal. Use that hour or two hours or five hours, whatever you can carve out for you and check out what you want to check out, man. Yeah, I love that. I think I think we often forget that curiosity is actually when when truly pursued, it is an effort of recovery, right? It is, a, it is an effort of decompression from things that are, uh, quote unquote, stressful, right? And so so. I say that to say, like, if you try to wedge curiosity into the other things, they, it in effect becomes non-recovery. It becomes more work, right? It, become, it becomes the opposite of what it is really truly meant to be. And so I think it's really it's a, it's a great point to make sure that we're pulling apart where we are pursuing our, create, our, our curiosity for curiosity's sake and not trying to make that curiosity into whatever, profit generating or or even, you know, or even health generating to a degree, right? Like if that's not where your curiosity is leading you is to let the curiosity be uh, mental, emotional recovery from the rest of life, from the stresses of being a parent to two kids, from the stressors of being a general counsel for a healthcare data company, et cetera. Like, good, like that's the point of it. And to your point, John, let it just be that. And when it stops being that, stop it. I also want to point out something that is actually just a huge meta rule for me in my life. And uh, I literally have a tattoo of this. It's also the it's also the logo of my consulting company. It's the simple overlap of two circles in a Venn diagram. I believe that opportunity and development lies not in the pursuit of individual things. It lies in the overlap of those things and the synthesis of original ideas that result. In other words, you might find that being the general counsel for a health data company and learning about the origin of the universe and Edwin Hubble and the realization of the ever-expanding universe and how Johannes Kepler uh, moved us to a heliocentric world has some impact on that. Do I know what it is? No. But if you're not curious and the ideas aren't in your head, you'll never find out. So I pursue my curiosity by reading everything, anything. And every once in a while, you get this intersection of ideas that says, this is incredibly valuable. Nobody's ever thought of this synthesis and I'm going to pursue it. People think innovation is, hey, let me invent a category. It's not. It's 
where do these categories overlap in a way that no one has ever had this thought before? So even as curiosity can be a bomb and recovery, by seeding your subconscious with it, uh, you may find tremendous professional benefit. Take that. Love it. All right. Hopefully that was helpful to you, Mitch. Uh, we are going to get in our main conversation about the rules of wealth in just a second. But first, I just want to do a quick shout out. If you are not yet on our newsletter, one of the things you get when you sign up for that newsletter, which you can do at optimalagency.co slash newsletter is you get the 35 books that we think that our argument is that you should read on the way or to help you get on the way to agency. Some books like The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, The Simple Path to Wealth and 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. So if you would like some things to read, if uh, these conversations that we've been having resonate with you and you want to go even deeper and build even more agency, optimalagency.co slash newsletter, you will, get, uh, you will get those 35 books. And we thank you in advance. The Rules of Wealth as I often do when we chat about our rules, uh, I like to just kind of couch them in the the, the uh, full list of rules. So here are our six rules of wealth. Number one, separate your time from your income. Number two, make as much as you're able. Number three, spend much less than you make. Number four, pay as few taxes as you can. Number five, purchase passive income and appreciating assets with your savings. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then number six, let compounding do its work. We have episodes and conversations on uh, the first four of those. We're going to do number five today, and we will have number six shortly. Where shall we begin with this here rule? One of the things you actually just said before we hit record is that uh, only about 50% of Americans actually do this uh, purchasing, purchasing of passive income and appreciating assets. And so clearly it's something that a lot of people uh, need help with. And so where shall we begin to do that? Where, where should we begin to help them? Okay. Let's begin with why. You probably have a job. You are part of the working class in some way, shape, or form, you probably get a paycheck. If you're on the upper end of that, maybe you are an entrepreneur or an owner and you write your own paycheck. Uh, if you're not, somebody else writes your paycheck. But you get to be free of the need to work for money if you can start making your money make money. Okay, So you can work for money or you're, you can use your money to make money. Early on, Using your money to make money feels silly because your work, uh, your income from work will dwarf the amount of money that you, your money makes for you. But as time takes over, as compounding takes over, and as your savings rate increases, more and more and more of your active income can be replaced by your investment income. And the answer to taking advantage of time of compounding and of increasing your savings rate is to start today. And so where I want to start with purchase passive income and appreciating assets with your savings is we've already talked about having savings. Now let's talk about exactly what to do with it. Cool. And I think also embedded in what you just said is that we are it, all of these conversations, all these rules of wealth are obviously very interrelated. But in some way, um, this rule, purchase passive income and appreciating assets is beginning to close a loop that we start with on rule number one, which is separate your time from your income, right? Like this is the extension of that or the natural extension of that first rule. Yep, that's right. So if you invest your savings and it compounds at the same time that it spits off dividends, eventually you no longer need to work for money at all. 
And when that happens, you're free to do whatever you want. Now, those are extreme endpoints. Okay. I don't have any savings. I'm not investing on one end of the spectrum and I'm completely financially free on the far end of the spectrum. But the trick is you don't have to get all the way to completely financially free to have a tremendous amount of agency in your life because you saved and invested. And I'd love to unpack that briefly. Imagine that you live on $50,000 a year. Uh, in take home income, right? At a 5% uh, yield, that means you have a million dollars in assets. Okay. If you had a million dollars in a T bill right now, uh, a US Treasury bill that paid 5.3%, that million dollars would pay you $53,000 a year. You wouldn't have to work at all. Okay. But let's imagine you don't have a million dollars. Let's imagine you have $250,000. Well, by extension, that's going to pay you $12,500 a year at that same interest rate or about $1,000 a month. How much less work could you do if you needed to make $1,000 less a month than you need to make today? Some fraction, right? And at $50,000 a year in take home, what we're saying is that you live on about $4,000 a month. If you've got $1,000 coming in, that's 25% less work you have to do. And so there are gradations of freedom. Now, how do you take advantage of that? Maybe you work for yourself and you take on fewer clients. Maybe you, uh, maybe you simply change professions to one that pays less, but also has less stress. And so what you can think is really simple. As you save in advance and the amount of money generated from your savings and investments overcomes your day-to-day -day expenses, the less and less and less you have to work doing someone else's bidding and the more you can enjoy agency and work for yourself. So how do you get there? I think is the, is the question like, what do I do? And I, th I think a lot of us have a partial picture about what we do. You know, uh, a lot of people who listen to this probably have a 401k at work. Uh, they may even have an IRA. They might have a savings account. They, they might even have a taxable brokerage account. But very few people, if you asked them on the street, would have the level of financial literacy necessary to say, what accounts do I have? What do I need? In what order do I fund them? And what do I buy? And so that's what I want to answer today. Awesome. Good. good. Excellent segue. You're, you're getting very good at this, building segues into our conversations naturally. Nice <laughs> Me and Dean uh, came so, and build segues. <laughs> so I'm going to do a quick bullet list of the things we want to hit on. The first one is going to be much of what you're just saying, the, the four accounts uh, that we need and in what order. The uh, second one, set dividends to reinvest. Number three, automate your contributions. Number four, how do you know when you've reached financial freedom? And then the last thing we're going to hit on is something called coast fire. So as you were just alluding to, let's talk about the accounts we need and in what order should we pursuing them? So four accounts we need. Uh, okay. And a lot of traditional financial advice here, uh, but always worth recounting. So the first thing that you need is a high yield savings account. Okay. What that means is that it pays a high level of interest. And what you're going to put in there is your quote unquote emergency savings. I don't like that word. What I actually like to consider this is a runway account. 
This is immediate optionality that you're putting in front of yourself by saving it. So take however much money that you spend in a month on average, let's for the sake of illustration again, call it $4,000 and uh, get six to 12 months of that in a high yield savings account. So that's twenty-four dollars to $48,000 in that high yield savings account. What does that give you? Lose your job. You don't have to get another one right away, so you don't have to make a bad decision in the in say uh, for the sake of money, right? Need to re-roof your house? Well, you don't have to sell your investments because you can use the cash you have in the bank. Uh, car shits the bed, <laughs> same thing, right? This is essentially cash to hold you over for unexpected uh, expenses or to serve as a bridge when you're making a life transition. So the traditional advice is three to six months. I go out six to 12. I love the idea that I don't have to do anything for a year. Mm. I don't know why I love that idea. It just seems <laughs> really nice. Like, hey, yeah. I'm taking a year off. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great to me. So, you know, I kick that out to 12 months. Uh, there are cases in which you will no longer need this emergency savings once your portfolio uh, especially in your accessible taxable brokerage account is appreciable. At some point, you really don't need this anymore, especially if you're far from retirement, but that's a corner case. So account number one, emergency savings. Account number two, you, you need an IRA. Okay. That's an individual retirement account when pensions essentially died, uh, in the United States, uh, not being offered anymore. The IRA was Congre Congress's answer to that. How can you save? for your own future outside of social security and what you'll get from there outside of what you would get from a now defunct employer pension. So an IRA uh, comes in two flavors, traditional or Roth. In traditional, you're going to put pre-tax money in and you will be taxed on the accrual of earnings uh, when you take that money out. In a Roth IRA, you're going to pay the taxes now and you won't be taxed when you uh, when you take that money out, uh, both of which happens at age 59 and a half or after. There are tremendous benefits to a Roth uh, if you are in a low tax bracket now and you're going to be in a high tax bracket later. Uh, that's most people, frankly, uh, who are early on in their career. There are more advantages to a traditional IRA if the opposite is true. If you're in a high tax bracket now and you anticipate after age 59 and a half, you'll be in a lower tax bracket. So you can look that up. Uh, that's easy Google foo, but you can contribute $6,500 a year right now as of 2023 uh, to an IRA. So I've got my emergency fund. I'm contributing to my IRA. The IRA should actually not be second on the list for contribution. It should be third if you have a 401k, either as a self-employed person or as an employee. The reason for that's really simple. And 401ks also come in traditional and Roth treatments, which is exactly what I just said for the IRA. This is just the analog. Uh, employers will tend to match your contributions up to a level. So for instance, many employers will say, we'll give you a 3% match. 
That is that uh, if you contribute up to 3% of your paycheck to that 401k, your employer will match it. And there's lots of reasons that they'll do that. It's essentially, again, uh, a way for uh, them to offer you a quasi pension while getting tax benefits themselves. Uh, you don't need to worry about that. But what you do need to worry about is contribute enough to your 401k to get a match. Okay. So you've done that. You're contributing to your IRA $6,500 a year. You're getting up to your employer match in your 401k. Now you need some place to put any additional savings. That's a taxable brokerage account. Okay. So that's just a fancy way to stay an account that holds stocks or equities or any, uh, any really any passive income and appreciating uh, asset can be held in a taxable brokerage account. That's where you put the remainder. So that's our order. Get your emergency savings together. Get your 401k match. Fully fund your IRA. If you've got anything left over, put it in your taxable brokerage. If you are paying a lot of taxes, you may not want to put that in your taxable brokerage. You might want to actually max out your 401k, which allows up to 22500 a year in contributions. But here's why I wouldn't. I don't want you to be financially free when you're 59 and a half. I want you to be financially free when you're 35 and 40 and 29, if you can hack it. And what that means is you can't put all of your money in tax advantaged vehicles like IRAs and 401ks for future you, because now you can't touch that money. Now, Again, there are exceptions to that. For instance, your contributions, but not the earnings on those contributions in a Roth can be withdrawn at any time. Uh, don't withdraw them. Don't do that. Just ignore that sentence and never do it. Okay. What you want to do instead is to start to amass some money in that taxable brokerage account that you don't need immediately, but that you might need 10 years down the road when you're ready for financial freedom. Okay. What that means is that you're willing to sacrifice tax benefits to allow yourself to essentially achieve freedom sooner, okay? And so in an ideal world, you would be making enough money. And this is our second rule of wealth. Make as much money as you're able so that you are able to do really five things. Pay your bills, fully fund the emergency account, fully fund the 401k and the IRA, and put any additional money into that taxable brokerage account. If you have a decent sense about you of living in a low cost area, et cetera, you should be aiming to probably, and we can just put a fork in this, you need to make $150,000, $200,000 a year to do that. Okay, so that should be your aim. Make as much money as you're able so that you can fully fund all of these things. Uh, early on in the cycle, of purchasing passive income and appreciating assets, you can do this uh, with some sacrifice. In other words, it's okay if your vacation to do this, if your vacation is local instead of global, it's okay to give up some time for that because the more that you can aggressively, you can do this early with a high savings rate, the more freedom that you will have later. And later is not when you're old and gray now. Because you're being aggressive, later is seven years from now, 10 years from now, if you're at a standing start of zero, right? And so uh, get aggressive with this early. And what will happen if you do all of those things uh, and you set your dividends to reinvest, as we talked about, which we can talk about that. It's just a double compounding cycle. 
really, uh, is you'll get to a point where your passive income and the dividends generated not only in your retirement accounts, but in your now account uh, starts to replace a meaningful portion of your uh, need for income and you can do whatever you want. So you just brought us into the second, um, the next bullet point, which is to set the dividends to reinvest. So let's just unpack that while it's yep. fresh on mind. So most, uh, so I'm going to advise that you buy index funds. Okay. Stock index funds and bond index funds. We can talk about what proportion, uh, but it's actually a pretty simple equation, uh, which is that take your age, divide it by two, subtract that from 100%. That's the proportion you should have in bonds. The rest should be in stocks. Okay. So if I'm 30 years old, right, I should have 15% of my wealth in bonds. I should have 85% of my wealth in stocks. You can do that with just two low cost index funds. Uh, I choose Vanguard funds, but again, not a financial advisor. Choose your own. Uh, look for a low expense ratio. And, uh, each of those will pay dividends, which means that as a holder of that stock, you are going to be, uh, sent a cash payment uh, against your holdings every, uh, every quarter likely with an index fund. Uh, I believe that in aggregate that you're going to find, uh, global bond funds are probably about 3% yield, uh, and stock funds are probably about a 2% yield right now. Uh, so that means that if you have a million dollars in the bank, uh, in those index funds, you're going to see 20 to $30,000 in cash come your way. You want to set that to automatically reinvest, and you can do that in any of these accounts. It's literally a radio button on a user interface to say set dividends to reinvest. What that does is it gives you a double compounding cycle. Okay, so not only are you getting the appreciation of the American economy in stocks paying, right, on average against the GDP growth of the United States, any money that you're being paid for that, you're reinvesting, and that's growing too. And so you can imagine these things snowballing off each other. What that means is that you grow faster in essence. And when you hear quoted statistics, like on average, before inflation, the US uh, economy or the S&P 500 returns 10 to 11% a year, they're talking about that number with dividends reinvested, not without. And it's shocking how much less money you end up with if you don't set your dividends to reinvest. Shocking. And, uh, you know, you can play around with some compounding calculators to see what that looks like with dividends reinvested versus not a little bit of Google foo will get you there. Uh, but, uh, if you've listened to me and got yourself to a point where you can earn 150 to $200,000 a year, you don't need those dividends right now because you have the active income, just set them to reinvest, take advantage of that compounding cycle. The other thing I want you to do is make all of this automatic. Okay, so what does that mean you have to do? You have to set it up so that your contribution to your IRA and your 401k is automatic. Your 401k usually will be. It'll come out of your paycheck. Your IRA, you get into your IRA account and say, pull this out of my high yield savings account every month and invest it. Okay, now by investing a set amount every month, you're going to do what's called dollar cost average. You're going to buy more units of uh, stock of shares when the market is low, you're going to buy less when it's high, but it's all going to average out over time. Uh, the automation of money into your brokerage account is something you'll have to set up. Again, pick an amount 
that you are comfortable seeing go in there come hell or high water. And then the next thing is once you have the contribution be automatic, that's where a lot of people stop and you ha- you're not done yet. Uh, if you just contribute the money, it will sit there in cash and it will not, <laughs> it will not grow. What you need to do is then have it automatically invest. I use E-Trade. You can do this in any of the major brokerages, Charles Schwab, Merrill Lynch, except Merrill Lynch isn't even a brokerage anymore. God, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> but you can do this in you know any brokerage account that you happen to have. Set it to auto-invest at the ratio necessary to keep your asset allocation. So again, we talked about you know a 30-year-old being 15% bonds, 85% stocks. That means if you're contributing $1,000 a month, your taxable brokerage, 850 of it should auto-invest into stocks uh, and 150 of it into bonds. Set it up to be automatic. Now, why? One, it's easy. Two, it allows you tremendous freedom in not paying attention to what markets are doing. Okay. If you're 30 or 40 or 50, you don't care what markets are doing. You literally don't care. Just keep buying. Just keep buying. Don't pay attention. Because if you pay attention, you're going to want to act. If you suddenly understand that China's economy is in trouble uh, because their property market's cratered, or you suddenly understand that the Fed's tightening interest rates and, ooh, that's scary, and gas is expensive, and the American consumer spent less at Dollar General last month, you're going to think you need to do something. You don't. You don't. The only thing you need to do is keep buying. And by setting all this up automatically, you get this tremendous gift. You never have to pay attention to the financial news. And I'm treating it as an, as an option. I take it one step further. Don't pay attention to the financial news. Okay. What I, in an ideal world, here's what you would do. You would put all your money into the stock market that you don't need. 30 years from now, you'd check the balance and you'd go, wow, (laughs) that's what would happen, right? Because you've set all of these things up, automatic contributions, dividends to reinvest. I don't pay attention to the financial news. I just keep buying. Take it. Okay. So that was just as a recap. Those are the four accounts you need in one order, set the dividends to reinvest. And that last one was automate those contributions. All of that work leads us to our next conversation or our next bullet points is how do you know when you're done? How do you know when you've reached the financial independence or financial freedom that all of this is meant to do for us? Like, like, do you just wake up one day and be like, I've done it. I'm yeah. good. Well, uh, you know, uh, Nassim Taleb would say that, you know, uh, when you reach financial independence because you get to say fuck you before you hang up the phone and not after. Uh, but the, the actual answer, uh, in traditional financial advice is that you have assets equal to 25 times your annual expenses. Okay. That's based on something called the Trinity study which examined withdrawal rates from a portfolio that would ensure that someone with an average life expectancy wouldn't run out of money. What the Trinity study found is that a 4% withdrawal rate is the rate at which a portfolio will sustain you at traditional retirement age for the rest of your life, which means if you have a million dollars, you can take $40,000 a year out of it and you'll never run out of money as compounding continues to work in your favor, but withdrawals tend to reduce the principal amount. If you turn 4% on its head, what do you need to withdraw 4% uh, in perpetuity? You need 25 times the amount you need to spend every month, 
right? So there's two levers here that you should recognize. One is the less you spend, the less about 25 times your annual expenses is. And so by living uh, with some degree of frugality, whatever you decide is good for you, but some degree of frugality, the more frugality net net you put into the system, the, uh, the less you need to be done. Okay? The other interesting place of done, and we're talking about the far end of the spectrum, like done, done, right, is uh, your dividend crossover point. And the dividend crossover point is simply when the dividends and only the dividends without borrowing any of the principal uh, that you've invested pay your bills. That's my life costs $50,000 a year. I've got a million dollar portfolio at a 5% yield, right? Your dividend crossover point. Uh, and interestingly, by reinvesting your dividends, you get to your dividend crossover point faster and faster and faster. So that's when you're traditionally done. I think it's kind of nonsense. I think you're done way before that. And I want to talk about a concept that should shock you, but not really if you understand how powerful wealth rule number six, allow compounding to do its work, is. Okay. So uh, I'm 42. No, I'm not. I'm 43. I told you I was old. <laughs> I can't even remember how old I am. Uh, <laughs> so I'm 43. And uh, I will, if I retired at... 65, I'd never need to save another dime compared to the size of my portfolio today. I don't have to fund my 401k or an IRA. I still do. Uh, I don't have to because compounding will ensure that when I reach that retirement, that traditional retirement age, that my safe withdrawal rate is essentially covered. I will have a, I will have that, let's call it that million dollars and $40,000 a year without any additional contributions simply because the snowball will keep snowing. And so, you know, coast fire is based on a few things. When you start investing early, you get the advantages of compounding sooner, right? The tail is bigger and bigger and bigger earlier and earlier on in life. The bigger that gets, the bigger it will get in the future. And so by starting early, you get to stop early, right? Uh, and so what you can look at in that scenario, and there's actually, uh, let me point you at a real resource, walletburst.com, walletburst.com, Coast Fire. Type all those words into, into Google if the Department of Justice doesn't break them up this week uh, and see what comes back, okay? So you can play with this idea. What does that mean? Well, if you no longer need to contribute to retirement accounts, you no longer need to contribute to your taxable brokerage account, et cetera, what that means is two things. Either, right, uh, congratulations, you can spend every dime you earn on anything you care to, and by the way, that will get boring really fast, or you can buy time, or you can buy time by not earning money, okay? So let's imagine that now I'm at Coast Fire. I no longer have to contribute to retirement accounts. I think I'm contributing about $5,000 a month, something like that to retirement accounts. What could I do? I could earn $5,000 less every month, which means given what I do today that I could work a third to half as much as I do. Now, what would I do with that free time? Anything I wanted. 
right? Uh, you could start a venture. You could try and make an impact. You could be woodworking. I have a beautiful painting of my uh, my girlfriend's mother's golden retriever. I'd like to show you uh, <laughs> that that I made with you know that free time. Uh, and so you don't have to wait until you have 25 times your annual expenses to experience some level of freedom. You actually just need to get to coast fire. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who are like, yeah, too late for me, bud. I'm 55. You're right. It is too late. You screwed up. Right. And so if you're not there, unfortunately, that path is not open to you. You do need to contribute to acquire. But the other thing to realize is you don't have to get to the dividend crossover point. You can have those dividends equal half of your monthly expenses or a quarter of your monthly expenses and choose to change profession, to pivot, to do something else that gives you more serenity, more joy, or more impact just based on the fact that you've done that. And I'd love to circle back to the original point here. Most people don't do any of this. Okay. And by most, I actually mean half of Americans. Let's be honest though. A lot of the reason that half Americans don't do this is they don't make enough money to do this. And so acquiring hard skills and soft skills, maximizing the amount of money you earn and investing it is the path that you need to take advantage of. If you have all of the ingredients for that and you're not doing it, again, you're screwing up. Get your savings rate high. Use it to invest. If you're not investing because you're scared of the quote unquote risk of the stock market, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of compounding. Get started. Get started now. Open those four accounts and start funding them in the order that we talked about. I love that. That's a great button up. And I hate to add to it, but I have one question before we move on to uh, wrap this episode up. We talked about Coast Fire. Embedded in that is fire. And I want to make sure people understand what that is before we move on. So could we do a do a super quick, like, what is fire? What does it stand for? What does it mean? And then I think that'll be enough for us to, to exit this conversation. Yeah, I, I'm not making five dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> fire is financial independence. Retire early. It's an acronym. The FIRE movement is essentially based on many of the ideas I've just expressed to you, which is start saving, save a high proportion of your income, do it early and invest it. If you do, you will get to retire at a shockingly young age and do whatever the hell you want. Paint your girlfriend's mom's golden retriever. There are all kinds of quote unquote FIRE resources out there. If you type the words financial independence, retire early into a search engine, uh, enjoy the rabbit hole. It's one that uh, I uh, dove down long ago, and uh, it certainly paid uh, metaphorical and real dividends to understand. Awesome. Good. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss that. All right, my friend, thank you. Uh, if you are out there, and uh, perhaps this is one of the first episodes you've joined us for, uh, we have been unpacking all of our rules uh, of health, wealth, and time. If you want to read all of them, you can head to optimalagency.co, hit the tab at the top of the screen to read the rules. We've also got 18 corresponding behaviors, behaviors of health, wealth, and time for you to peruse their short write-ups, and they give you a broader context of this conversation we're having here at Optimal Agency. So again, optimalagency.co, click on the tab for the rules, and you will get all of them. Right, we're going to wrap this episode up uh, with a recommendation. All of this being said, that was a that was a a, a lot that we just covered in 
a 20, 25 minute chunk. I, I know that there are many, many more resources for folks if they want to dive into this, um, than just this here episode. So give us a recommendation where if we are done listening to this and we're like, yes, let's go outside of the steps we just laid out. Is there a book that you would recommend folks start with, uh, to help them continue down this road of, uh, to follow this particular rule? Patrick, Sean Cummings, I have three books for you, sir. Uh, number one is by John Bogle. John Bogle is the founder of the Vanguard Group, uh, literally the first index fund uh, formed, I believe, in 1973 or 1974. He's considered the godfather of index investing. He also has an incredibly readable writing style, and he wrote a book called The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. Uh, if you read no other investing book ever, read this one. He'll talk about how active management and picking of individual stocks does not beat the market indexes on aggregate. Uh, and he'll spend uh, no more than really two hours of your life educating you in a way on why does John Gilson, Optimal Agency, et cetera, say buy low-cost index funds. John Bogle, read the book. The second is by Nick Maguli. It's called Just Keep Buying. You heard me say that phrase a couple of times. Uh, Nick lays out using data, and he has a blog called uh, Of Dollars and Data, using data, what is the case for dollar cost averaging over time why and how does it work? Why should you ignore the financial news, et cetera? So if you need that underpinning uh, or convincing that the strategies I've laid out are the right strategies, please take a look at his data. I'm sure it's impeachable on some degree, but no degree that you're going to get to without a statistics degree. Uh, so please give that a read. The last one is by Burton Malkiel. It's called A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Uh, that will get you into the nuts and bolts, not only of index investing, uh, echoing some of the things that you've learned from John Bogle. It will also talk to you about asset allocation based on age. How much should be in stocks, bonds? What are alternative investments? What kind of passive income generating uh, investments should you be buying? I found A Random Walk Down Wall Street readable simply for the three pages that deals with David Swenson, the pension manager of the Yale University Trust Fund, who is one of the most successful money managers of all time and his take on asset allocation. So get those three books. Uh, if you have not yet done so, I believe at least two of those three are on our uh, list of 35 books that you can download at optimalagency.co backslash newsletter. And when you get that list, uh, if you click through and buy those books from the hyperlinks on that list, it does actually support the podcast. So we'd appreciate that very much. Love that. I believe I'm looking at the list real quick. I believe all three of them are on that list. So just as a reminder. Um, all right, my man, that was great. Thank you everybody there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. A reminder, we are, as we have been doing, starting every episode with a question from you. So if you've got one that you'd like, there are many ways to get uh, it to us, but we would love to see it. Thank you for sharing the show. John and I will be back next week for another episode of Optimal Agency. <laughs>